0: The skills that companies need, the workforce that's needed, the way you get the students those skills is by getting them into that hands-on that we're talking about through this RAMP program. And that's why we're so excited about it and, um, and, the, and the opportunity to partner with you know, UConn and Southern to make this happen.
1: On behalf of the members of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering, welcome to this inaugural edition of Learning and Living STEM in Connecticut, the podcast of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering. My name is Tan Dillion. I'm an elected member of the Academy and in 2020 was elected to the Academy's Governing Council. And I'm pleased to serve as host for this podcast. The Academy is a nonprofit created by special act of the Connecticut General Assembly in 1976 with key areas of work, including advising and informing the people and the state of Connecticut on science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and medicine, collectively known as STEM. This podcast is key to sharing with the residents of our state, interesting STEM developments and increasing visibility for the state's innovators and entrepreneurs, businesses and industries, academics, our talented workforce, and those doing STEM-related work in public service. I am pleased to have as our guests, Christine Broadbridge, immediate past president of CASE and Southern Connecticut State University's Executive Director of Research and Innovation and Professor of Physics, as well as Connecticut State College and University's Director of the Center of Nanotechnology, Education Director for Yale, and Southern's Center for Research on Interface Structures and Phenomena, also known as CRISP, Visiting Fellow at Yale University and Board Member for the Materials Research Society, and Elizabeth Jokush, Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Connecticut. We'll be talking about the Yukon and Southern Connecticut State University's Biopath Partnership to bridge the research skills gap for students from underserved and underrepresented populations with Elizabeth serving as primary lead for the project. Pleasure to have you both. Elizabeth, oh, fantastic. Elizabeth first, and then Christine. Can you tell us just a bit about yourselves? Sure.
2: So I'm an evolutionary biologist. I moved to the state of Connecticut just over 23 years ago to take the job that I have here at UConn, where I run a lab that has about 10 researchers in it, everything from undergraduates who are just getting started through uh, people who've already completed their doctoral degree. And before that, I actually grew up in central Illinois, uh, in the cornfields of the great Midwest, and then took a tour essentially around the country, getting my education before I landed here. So through Ohio, California, and Arizona, and I love living in new England.
1: That's fantastic. You got to see, see the country and it's a great country. So thank you for that. Uh, Christine.
0: Excellent, Han. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, as mentioned, I'm a professor of physics at Southern Connecticut State University, uh, but I do research actually in material science. Uh, really, the span that started my career more on the integrated circuits, but most recently have moved towards sustainability applications, um, energy conversion and storage, um, you know, all the way to direct capture. And as you mentioned, i I started a center for nanotechnology, actually, the center for the state that's really pretty unique because it is open um, for both industry and student use. Uh, For the start of my career, I've been interested in workforce and um, started at Trinity College in Hartford actually Mm -hmm. um, as the first female faculty member in their engineering department. And from there kind of hit the ground running, working with United Technologies uh, to work on the workforce problem, right? So it was pretty unique. It was in the 90s before folks were really understanding that this was an issue. Um, So from there, I've continued to build research programs. Uh, You mentioned my partnership with Yale University, but really I've partnered with all the academic institutions in the state. I I really believe strongly in partnering to, um, you know, both for the research, the education, um, and also just for the betterment of um, of society. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I I didn't even realize that Trinity had an engineering program, but yeah, that's great. So so let's uh, let's just get right into the discussion here. Uh, I'm going to start with Elizabeth first. So, what is the program, and what are the major components of the program, the Biopath program?
2: Okay, so I'll I'll focus on the uh, Ramp program. Okay. that's the new initiative that we um, have partnered with Biopath for, and the RAMP program, RAMP stands for Research and Mentoring for Post-Baccalaureates. And post-baccalaureates are simply people who've received their four-year college degree, so a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science. And this is actually a new initiative of the National Science Foundation. It grew out of the COVID pandemic, but it led them to recognize a greater need, which is that a lot of students who are majoring in STEM, and in this case, specifically in biology, do not have the opportunity to get involved in research as undergraduates. So the National Science Foundation has for a long time sponsored research experiences for undergraduates, REU programs. There's a huge demand for those. But with the pandemic, a lot of students lost that in-lab opportunity. And that led the NSF to realize that there's actually a much greater need. It's It's not just the students who are undergraduates who would benefit from this experience, but the students who face obstacles to getting research experience as undergraduates who would benefit from having it shortly thereafter. So there's a lot of students who are in college, they transfer, they're working full time, they have family commitments, they're at a school where there isn't uh, opportunities for research, and so NSF realized that offering opportunities for research to to this group of recent graduates could greatly enhance workforce opportunities as well as the future of these individuals. And so they created a a competitive grant program and invited networks of individuals to submit proposals to offer this training to post-baccalaureates. And one thing I think is really important, the training will be done as cohorts. So it's not just individuals coming in, but groups of individuals who will come in together and gain these skills Uh, and in our case it's a program that's focused on genomic novelty so what i sometimes call the dark matter in the dna uh, that uh, and so students will come in and work on projects related to that
0: i was going to just connect it to biopath so it's a it's a Um, $3 million grant that is a partnership between Southern Connecticut State University, Biopath, and um, and UConn. Uh, There were only 12 of those um, grants provided. um, And so we were fortunate enough to partner to to achieve, um, you know, the selection for one of those grants.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure our listeners understood like the entire tie and put it together. So, so Elizabeth, you, you did talk about research and, and research seems to be a very, you know, uh, distinct topic. So would you share with us what you see is the difference between conducting research and learning?
2: Sure. So conducting research is a form of learning, but it's very different from the learning that most students have experience with. So typically in a classroom information is being presented that's already known. And students are learning about what's already known by reading books, listening to their teacher, looking on the web. With research, we're trying to answer questions where the answer is unknown. And so it requires a willingness to try new things. It requires typically a lot of failure when you're trying to answer a question that hasn't been answered before. Uh, It requires a willingness to develop new tools Uh, It often benefits from a certain amount of stubbornness. It's not (laughs) looking for the right answer, landing on it and moving on, but rather really working to figure out even how to get to the answer. And very often along the way, answering other questions, discovering new questions. So it's a very different way of learning than reading something and Providing that information back to someone.
1: Okay, uh, Christine, anything to add to that? Or
0: absolutely. So, um, you know, I think that the other aspect of this is it's a real hook to get students more excited about topics in science, to really get them to apply what they're learning in the classroom. Which, as Elizabeth has pointed out, is a different way to learning to solving a problem. So there's a lot of creativity of that. There's a lot. There's a lot of excitement. And particularly in RAMP, we're talking about working together in teams, which builds very important skills. So this is where Biopath connects in. Um, So this this partnership involves um, uh, what's called the Bioscience Academic and Career Pathway Initiative. That's what Biopath stands for. It's housed at Southern Connecticut State University, but it was made possible by a partnership between the city of New Haven and Southern, uh, a workforce initiative. That was really unique at the time in 2015 is when it was started. And it happened because the um, industries in New Haven that were growing at the time, right? We had Alexion growing, moving downtown, uh, realized that they needed that. You know, they really needed the workforce to make it happen. So we did industry needs assessments just from the very beginning. And I'm tying this together. This is where research comes in, right? Engaging students in research. The skills that companies need workforce it's needed the way you get the students those skills mm-hmm. is by getting them into that hands-on that we're talking about through this ramp program and that's why we're so excited about it and um and the and the opportunity to partner with you know uconn and southern to make this happen
1: yeah no you're i think you guys are both spots on and uh there, there certainly is a need because i mean especially you know post-covid you know the the competition for talent is so high and you know i'm in industry and from that perspective it's you know trying to find the right talent to do the right job is is very difficult because uh people understand their worth now and uh and they're 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 moving forward with that so so based on talking about participation and everything uh, who's eligible to participate in this program uh, elizabeth or, or christine
2: so the basic eligibility requirements are set by the national science foundation and they uh, say that the participants need to be so they need to have earned their four-year degree bachelor's of arts or science in biology or a related field, and I would emphasize that we're interpreting related field very broadly. There might be people with computer science degrees, because there's a bunch of computer coding work, might be people with environmental science degrees, natural resources degrees, so interpreting that very broadly. Uh, And then the second, they need to have earned that degree within the last four years. And then they also, we are Specifically interested in building a more inclusive workforce. So, everyone is eligible to apply. We particularly are hoping to have a fully representative application pool. The groups that are underrepresented in STEM, as defined by the National Science Foundation, include not just racial and ethnic minorities, but, for example, uh, community college transfer students, veterans, students with disabilities. So, Uh, Everyone should see themselves as included in this uh, call for, for applications. And the other thing that's really important is that it's designed for students who have not had much research experience. So I think there are people who might think, oh, I'm not going to be competitive because I didn't get that research experience. But that's exactly who we're looking for, students who didn't get any research experience or students who didn't get sufficient research experience during their undergraduate. To move on to the next step that they're interested in, whether that's entering the biotech workforce, or potentially continuing with their education as a master's student or PhD student. So Those are the main eligibility requirements.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. It, it it definitely sounds uh sounds like you guys kept it broad and and open to to a, a really diverse pool of people. So, the. Uh, it seems like there's a very good opportunity here uh, for folks in Connecticut uh, to uh, to get into this program. So, so with uh, with that, I know Christine, you did touch a bit about uh, how the program is funded. Can you do? You, would you mind just expounding just a bit more on on the funding opportunity uh, for this program, and is it how and how long it will be potentially funded for uh, going forward?
0: So I, it's a National Science Foundation grant. Um, it's a three million dollar award, uh, and and just to speak a little bit more about, I think the partnership with with Biopath and, and inclusivity. I think this, you know, it, it speaks to really the long term, you know, aspect of this. Is that if we think about this workforce initiative as being really a huge issue, we touched upon this at the beginning, and thinking about ways of getting underrepresented, and underserved populations. Um, you know, part of the partnership with Southern really brings in the Connecticut State College and university system, which is 85,000, um, you know, with our 17 campuses. So we're, Southern is very well connected within that system. And as mentioned before, Southern, you know, the Biopath program is one that is, you know, connected with, with industry as well. So it's the NSF funding, you know, that, that 3 million, I think really to get it started, I mean, I think there is always that opportunity, I think, to recompete, but I think the importance of this is that it's really cutting edge. You know, it's the first time that NSF has done this, uh, and as Elizabeth pointed out, the focus on those individuals that haven't had the experience is so important, because the needs assessments that I'm seeing, um, you know, Biopath has collected from industry, says that the companies in the biotech sector want individuals at the BS level and higher with experience. So their entry-level positions, they want people that have already done research. So we're talking about, you know, leveling that playing field, making sure that, you know, folks from all backgrounds. So at Southern, we're we're so proud that we're 39%, you know, in our STEM disciplines, 39 and plus, it's growing, um, students of color, which if you look at nationally, Um, STEM, we're just way ahead on that. So the opportunity to partner um, with with UConn, and again, with that initial funding from the National Science Foundation, uh, and then really building on that.
2: Uh, Just to add a couple of things that might be uh, interesting uh, for the trainees to know that I think the most important thing to know is that trainees are fully funded through a fellowship during their participation in the program. So it's a one-year full-time intensive research experience program. And the stipend is a bit more than our graduate students make. So it's about just over $32,000 for that year of participation. Uh, We'll be running cohorts for three years. So starting in August of 2023, 2024, and 2025, using our current funding. Uh, And then as Christine said, thinking that this is one year and then through the skills, the connections, the industry, Uh, expertise with Biopath that should be a stepping stone to their next career stage.
1: How big are these cohorts?
2: The average size will be 10 individuals.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so how do uh, listeners find out more information about this program? And how do they, how can they get themselves engaged uh, in this program?
2: So, for the ramp part of the program, specifically applying, our application deadline is actually coming up at the end of the month for this year, and then it will be repeated each year. And our website is s.ramp. Sorry, our website is s.ucon.edu slash genome, G E N O M E hyphen ramp. And then there's an additional biopath website. That's part of a much broader initiative.
0: Yeah, and and I'll just mention that, you know, we've talked about the actual engagement in the research, but Elizabeth and our team have worked together to to broaden the impact of this initiative. So again, there are specific skills that we know students need. So beyond that cohort of 10, we're going to be offering boot camps, uh, mentoring opportunities, a variety of different additional activities that you can learn about on our website, so that's biopath at southernct.edu. Um, so just to, you know, anyone can t- just take a look at that to see it's the Biopath Skills Academy, uh, with funding from you know really CT Next has been really supportive of this initiative, understanding that it is something that industry needs um, and entrepreneurs need, small startup companies need. They need um, folks like you know Biopath that are from academia but are really listening to industry. You know, what their needs are in developing programs based on that
1: yeah certainly i there there's definitely you gotta have that that link right because you know what what is what what industry- the way industry operates is they they have like their own niche so making that link and having the 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 students understand that link i i think is is vital to industry flourishing especially in the state of connecticut so So yeah that's that's very very important so so with with that i want to kind of shift gears a bit here Uh, i mean you you guys are both of you are you know really accomplished scientists and uh, uh with absolutely very busy schedules uh why is this partnership so important to you both uh elizabeth first and and then christine
2: I would say the reason that it's so important is that as much as I love doing science, as much as I love that little thrill of discovery when I learn something new, I've discovered in my career that it's even more rewarding to help someone else experience that. And so instead of just doing it a couple of students at a time in my lab, being able to do it as part of this broader context and in a pipeline where we see where students can go on in their
0: careers, I I think it'll just personally be really fulfilling.
1: Thank you for that. Uh, Christine?
0: Sure. I just feel incredibly fortunate that I've gotten into a career that I enjoy. And I, you know, that's my dream for my students. And I'm really very passionate about that is getting the word out to, you know, students that traditionally wouldn't consider STEM as a career, uh, giving everybody that opportunity to learn about what it is to make a decision about whether it's something for them uh, based on an, uh, an authentic experience. And so I'm I'm passionate about doing that. And so I've been thinking, you know, and, and engaged with this throughout my entire career in finding ways to get students engaged in research as early as possible. Uh, and again, hands-on opportunities and skills development. So that's where I think that the partnership with UConn just made perfect sense on this because, you know, we, we really have complementary missions. We have, we're both, Heavily engaged in research, both at Southern and at UConn. Um, and at Southern, we're really very focused on uh, engaging undergraduates, community college students through our partnerships in research, and in particular those from underrepresented and underserved populations. So the partnership just made perfect sense when Elizabeth reached out.
1: Yeah, no, and uh, and you know, I guess that the tie between you know both your comments is helping people, right. You know, giving someone an opportunity, giving someone a chance, right. Uh, we don't get anywhere in this world without someone else. So, you know, this, this program is, is definitely going to open up doors for, for a lot of people that potentially those doors may not have been opened up, opened up for. So yeah, Christine,
0: I was just going to say for any of the listeners, if they want to help, it is so rewarding. We just held um, an event on campus yesterday where we had just an amazing outpouring of industry professionals that volunteered their time. And I think that just reach out, you know, check out the Biopath website, reach out to us. There's so many different ways that you can get involved in this from just a couple of days mentoring a student to just sharing your, your experience, because that's so valuable. Professionals that are willing to share their path. Sure. And in particular, the challenges that they may have faced along that path. It really helps students to understand that we all have had to work very hard to get where we are and they can do it. So that that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, get involved. No, absolutely. And uh, what we'll do for the episode notes, we will uh, put links to the websites and. Uh, your, I mean, you're, you guys are professors, so we'll potentially put links to your uh, profiles um, on your on your uh, university website. So if people wanted to reach out to you directly, uh, they could potentially be able to do that as well. So, uh, Christine, you talked about you know being interested in your field and your path, you know. So, you know, would you be able to? Sh- can you share, like Elizabeth and Christine? Could you share potentially what got you interested in this field and you know, a potential uh, how you navigated some of the issues in order to get to where you are, because again, you guys are, in my opinion, at, at the tops uh, when it comes to to what you do. so
0: thank you. I you know i I started a little electrical engineering, and I, I'm a first generation college student. you know, neither of my parents were in college they but they were firmly really firmly in that I needed to go. Um, And so that, you know, I didn't know what an engineer did way back then, and I was one of 10 um, females in that class where I started at University of Rhode Island. Uh, So that path was a hard path to start. But I think what got me hooked was the engagement in research, I would say. Um, And I did that. I just pushed hard to make it happen as an undergraduate. It wasn't common then. Um, And that's what I, you know, continued on to Brown University. And just from there, uh, you know the idea of engagement in research. I moved from engineering, I would say, to um, to, to physics and to science, material science, because I've always been driven by the, um, you know, the why things happen the way they do. You know, and so I think it was the science behind the engineering that got me excited, and you know that you can see I get passionate when I talk about it is yeah. part of what I bring. You know, I bring into the classroom and into my research for the students.
1: It's contagious. It is. <laughs> Elizabeth?
2: So I guess my path is somewhat different from Christine's because I'm from a family that has a lot of mathematicians and physicists. And I was the weird one who liked to spend time outdoors with the bugs, the toads, (laughs) whatever could be found outside. And so it was that interest in the natural world that made me think I wanted to be a biologist. So when I went off to college, that's why I studied biology. And then I had a really important to me. Professor, my second year in college, I actually took a developmental biology class. It turned out it was her first year teaching and she was so invested in our class and so enthusiastic and also so demanding. She wanted a lot from us. And she, for our major product project, she handed me a book, a really thick tome, had two words in the title that I didn't even know what they meant. And it only had three words in the title and the other one was and. <laughs> and said, I think you might find some ideas in here. And so I read this book, found a topic, and actually everything I've been I've done since then has been connected at some level to that topic, to opening up of this whole world of of research. So that's how I got into it.
1: Yeah, see, so so to our listeners, I mean, no two paths are the same, right? And uh so, so don't, don't gauge yourself based off of, of any misconceptions that you've had, you know, set your own path and, and, and go for it. So, yeah, that, that's uh, very inspirational, uh, from both your lives and, uh, and I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of folks, uh, that are listening right now. So, so, you, you know, work, work is work is work, but, uh, I'm sure there's a, maybe a little time for some fun. So what do, you, what do you guys like to do for fun uh, when you're not, you know, working so hard?
0: I'd say I, I exercise a lot and I get outdoors. So at Elizabeth's point, she, I, I'm really jealous of Elizabeth because my research as a microscopist and material scientist is in a dark room in a, with a microscope. Sure. I love being outdoors. So I'm out there every day. If people see me and I'm a little cranky, they're like, "Go outside and go for a walk." Right? That's my thing. <laughs> um, and then the newest thing is I've just decided I want to I want to learn an, an instrument. So I've just decided to to learn piano. So I'm always about learning. That's what I do for fun is learning new things and challenging myself. Uh, other than that, I, I have a um, an adult child with special needs, and she's just a gift. And I spend a lot of time with her. So.
1: Thank you, Christine Elizabeth. Sure.
2: Um, that's really wonderful that you're learning piano. I have to say I took lessons all through childhood, through college. I have a piano at home. I hardly ever play, but I often want to. Uh,
1: so. Oh, well, hey, there's a connection I, there.
2: I know. <laughs> so, so what I, I actually do for fun, well, partly being outdoors, I do that for fun as well as I get to do a little bit of it for work. Although like many people, I spend a lot of my work life in front of a computer. And I would say my other hobby is testing out new recipes. I have a often things that are unfamiliar. So I've got a pretty big collection of, uh, vegetarian cookbooks from many different cuisines. And uh, I have the Ooh. goal of trying one new recipe a week.
1: I, I like that. I'm, I, 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 tend to dabble a bit in cooking, so, uh, I can, I can, uh, definitely appreciate that. But so, so to our, to our listeners, you know, uh, there's great opportunity here with this program. There's, Opportunity to get out of the classroom when it comes to doing this type of research. So, if you are someone that wants to, that likes to be outdoors and likes to do these types of uh, activities, there's there's an opportunity here. There's no one mold or paradigm that that's going to to, to fit uh, someone's path. So, uh, definitely recommend that uh, you, you you take this uh, this great opportunity that's been provided. So with that, I I would like to uh, thank our guests, uh, Professor Christine Broadbridge and Elizabeth Jokush. For those living in Connecticut and others tuning in from outside our state, we enjoyed learning about your partnership on this worthy effort. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and visit the Academy's website at www.ctcase.org. That's www.ctcase.org. To learn more about the guests, read the episode transcripts, and access additional resources, as well as to sign up for the case bulletin. Once again, thank you to our esteemed guests and please take this opportunity to reach out and uh, take, take part in this program.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.